The COVID-19 pandemic has changed life for all of us. But even before this, we were already fighting an epidemic, the battle against chronic disease. And those with chronic diseases are at highest risk of contracting severe coronavirus infections. So how do we protect ourselves during these uncertain times? But more importantly, how do we view health? Welcome to the Glass Half Healthy Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jonar, a board certified physician in internal medicine and lifestyle medicine. In this podcast, I want to address the current crisis of chronic disease and to challenge conventional attitudes towards health. We'll be exploring these issues with thought-provoking guests to help redefine what health should mean for all of us. I hope to inspire you to take action towards a happier, thriving life because good health comes to those who expect it. Hey everyone, I am Dr. Jonar and this is my podcast, The Glass Half Healthy. It's over a month since launch day and I am very happy with how things have turned out so far. For those listening for the first time, my podcast ranked in the top 200 podcasts in the US in health and fitness in its first week. So thank you all for tuning in. And if you have any suggestions on topics you wanna hear or how we can improve, hit me up at drjonar at gmail.com or direct message me on my social accounts, which you can find the links to in our show notes. Looking forward to hearing from you and really appreciate your support for my show. Okay, today's episode is fantastic, or should I say, plantastic, because we have back on the pod, Dr. Siri Chan Khalsa, MD, here today to talk to you about the power of plant foods. But before we get to that, a word from our sponsor. This episode of the Glass Half Healthy Podcast is brought to you by Mangoes. One cup of mango supplies a full day's worth of your vitamin C needs, a third of your day's worth of vitamin A needs, three grams of fiber, and a healthy dose of potassium. Just remember, you can't get there alone. It takes two to mango. Get it, wherever fresh produce is sold. All right, back to the pod. The title of this show is Food is Medicine, The Power of Plant Food. So my first patient I ever put on a plant-based diet was me. I used to eat meat for most of my life up until 2017. I grew up in Chicago. We're known for our deep dish pizzas, Italian beefs, Chicago style hot dogs, and McDonald's headquarters was right near my hometown. And it was also part of my Filipino culture. We ate chicken adobo, lechon, which is pork, and langanisa, which is Filipino style sausage. I grew up eating all of that stuff. But as I talked about in my origin story episode, I found myself in a very unhealthy state during medical training, 35 pounds overweight. And in that moment of realization, I thought to myself, how could I as a physician with a clear conscience expect patients to take my own health advice when I wasn't taking it myself? Also my dad who passed away at an early age from colon cancer and learning as a doctor in training that processed meat is classified by the World Health Organization as a group one carcinogen, especially linked to colorectal cancer. So what was I doing still eating this stuff? And what are we as Americans doing to ourselves? Sources from the American College of Lifestyle Medicine state that more than 80% of Americans do not eat enough vegetables, and more than 70% do not eat enough fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and nuts. 
So at the start of 2016, I consciously decided to choose a path towards healthier living. Through my experimentation of many different diets that ended up failing, I discovered the power of plant-based nutrition. And in the process since 2017, I returned to my high school weight and maintained it simply by eating mainly whole plant foods. But beyond the weight loss, I regained self-confidence and felt much more energetic. Plant nutrition really is medicine and it is powerful. So on the pod to discuss this in more depth is Dr. Siri Chan Khalsa. She has had a lifelong interest in mindful living as the basis for long-term vitality of mind, body, and spirit. She's not only a board-certified physician, but a kundalini yoga instructor, a Reiki master, and trained in Ayurveda. In our talk, we discuss her growing up on the East Coast, the health crisis in college that became her epiphany for her career in medicine, but also her call to healing. We talk about our collective love for food that actually stems from our respective keen sense of smell. We briefly discuss the longest lived people on the planet, and you'd be surprised to hear what their diet consists of. Dr. Siri Chan also goes into defining the terms vegan and plant-based and the different philosophies behind each. But labels aside, our focus here is on the power of plant foods. So I hope you enjoy our talk as much as I did. Here she is, Dr. Siri Chan Khalsa. First of all, thanks for coming back on the show. Now you may remember her from last episode during the launch series on her answer to the question on defining health. So great to have you back here again, Dr. Siri Chand. Oh, it's great to be here. So excited to talk more about this. Yes, yes. So last time we didn't get a chance to discuss this much, but you have a very interesting background. Um, you started in internal medicine, but then you also specialize in palliative hospice medicine and integrative medicine. Yes. And you've had formal training instruction in yoga and Ayurveda. So yeah. just quickly take us back to when you were in internal medicine. How or you know, even why did you make the jump from internal medicine to integrative medicine in these other fields we just mentioned? So, yeah, so what is that all about? <laughs> it's a great story. Like, do you have a cup of tea? Let's sit down. <laughs> well, you know, interestingly for me, I grew up on the East Coast and I had a very standard you know, suburban child of the 80s upbringing. And I went away to college and I had kind of a health crisis in college. Hmm. I went to the student health and they wanted to sort of fill me with pharmaceuticals. And Hmm. even at that age, I was probably 19 or so, I thought, isn't there a better way than this? And unfortunately, the doctor in front of me, that was all he knew. There was no discussion of stress in my life of course college and pre-med it's a you know it's a cooker for stress and you know was i moving how was i eating how was my sleep you know all of those features was i connecting or was i just isolated alone studying that was not part of the interview the intake it was more like here's your symptom and here's my solution and it's basically to make your symptom go away not to look at the roots of why you're feeling that way And that was really, to be honest, that was really the beginning. And Hmm. from that point forward, I started seeking out what are the other ways that I can heal or or maintain my health. And it's taken me into some strange places. And for initially in my journey, I was dancing between, should I go into the classic 
traditional allopathic pathway, or maybe should I, because it made sense to me too. And at that point in time, in the you know, mid nineties, there wasn't as much discussion about integrative medicine. It was still a little heretical, you know, like, oh my right. gosh, why, you know, that's quackupuncture and, you know, <laughs> right. these are the kind of things that people would say to me, which of course I don't believe uh, right. is true at all. And so I began this sort of extensive study and you could say, I like to joke, I'm in like the 45th grade. I am, you know, <laughs> had a couple years as a toddler where I wasn't studying and then pretty much every day since then has been continued exploration. And so when I finished my medical school training, uh, college, I actually took a couple years off to look into that, to study yoga and Tai Chi and Qigong. These oh, wow. Of so you even did that stuff before even going to medical school? I did, which actually, in hindsight, made medical school about 100 times harder because mm -hmm. I knew the whole way through, through residency, through medical school, there was other ways of thinking about what we were learning. So you could say I have a fair amount of resilience because that was actually pretty stressful for me as a person. Like, oh, these things aren't lining up. My personal experience, my own study and pursuit, and what I'm learning here in, in this very academic, intellectually heavy exercise that medical school and residency offers us. So when I finished medical school, I, I went to Mayo Clinic. I did a very formal internal medicine training. And then I moved to the desert, I like to say. And then things got interesting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like a, my own sort of vision quest, living here in the heat and sort of peeling away things I, you know, layer by layer by layer. And so that journey's actually been quite interesting and has included studying Ayurveda, which is a whole body system. It looks at the human condition in a really different way than we do classically in allopathic training, as well as a little bit on meditation, mindfulness, botanical medicine, nutritional medicine, and all of these things sort of combining as to like, well, what makes health? What brings vitality versus just looking at symptoms? So I don't, I wouldn't say I sit in any one camp anymore. It's like, well, I, you know, there's bits of brilliance in all of them. So, you know, Very that's cool. where I'm at. So, you know, for our listeners out there that don't even know what integrative medicine is, what, what is that exactly? You know, it's really interesting. When integrative medicine first came on the scene, it, the I would say really the grandfather at this point is Dr. Andrew Weil. And mm -hmm. he was he's a very interesting man. He had done his training in the um, you know in the 70s and then moved out to the desert in, in Tucson. And I always say he was at Harvard, he was in the academic eye. He decided to take his journey off the grid before there was the internet, before, before, before. And if you know, folks listening from the East Coast know there's this sort of Ivory League, this academic echelon. And, and when you don't completely sit in line with that, you can be a little bit ostracized or criticized. And so I think he took his journey to the desert. And when he did that, he began studying in much more depth the, how to implement a system that was as evidence-based as possible that looked at all routes to healing, whether it was through nutrition, through reducing stress, through botanicals that have been used for thousands of years in native and indigenous populations, how we sleep, how we dream, what's the journey of our soul, you know, these very deep sort of expansive concepts that in hindsight really is ambitious to do in a 10 minute visit as a primary care physician. Oh yeah, right. 
So on that level, to me, integrative medicine is a little bit of a, a pipe dream because it's been mm. very difficult to implement. But at its core, it has this very holistic approach to what creates our vitality, what, where does imbalance start, and what are the routes to sort of nurturing balance again. And um, there's some formal definitions, and there's now a many places across the country where physicians can do fellowships in it, where the focus of study is really looking at aspects of our lifestyle. So how we eat, how we move, how we sleep, how we cultivate loving kindness within ourselves and to others. All of those pieces are really, of course, nutrition is a foundational piece. And of course, um, avoiding behavior that's not going to, you know, I always say an ounce of prevention is, you know, a pound of pound cure. Of cure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I really believe that. The more uh, I, I do it, too. The more I know, like, you know, you can catch it, catch it early. And integrative medicine also can include the umbrella of functional medicine, which is it is a very difficult. There's a lot of nomenclature that floats around. People can be very confused as to who does what. But to me, the functional medicine is looking at a very scientific biochemical pathways, most of which I would say conservatively, we know a fraction, we're scratching the surface in our understanding. So sometimes to me, the functional medicine piece gets a little misinterpreted because oh, it's not fully evidence-based, but really these are like, we're looking at the bottom of the Himalayas. Like we know there's these complex biochemical pathways that we need to understand the interactions and, and interplay between systems in our body. And I think the functional medicine training does a really good deep dive for what we know now, right. a lot we don't know. And that's right, what, right. I think what gets lost in translation. Interesting. So, yeah, you know, I... I, as you know, I'm certified in lifestyle medicine. Mm -hmm. And when I started learning more about lifestyle medicine through the coursework, I started, you know, also learning about integrative and functional medicine. And, you know, there's a lot of overlap, not everything, but, you know, I think that like at the core, we're really trying to get to the underlying root of the cause of disease, right? Absolutely. And achieving that through either prevention or treatment or potentially even reversal. Yeah. And so I, I know you brought up the aspect of nutrition, which is super important from a lifestyle medicine perspective, but, you know, obviously integrative and, and functional. So we've talked before offline, you're really into cooking. And yeah. so it, I, I was cooking. I've seen some videos. I mean, it's, it's this is amazing. So how has cooking played a central role in all of this and what you do? Well, it's very interesting. As I alluded to, I had taken some time between undergraduate and medical school. Right. The other thing I considered doing was being a chef. And so, wow. and I would say really, initially it was because I love to eat. I mean, sure. no holds bar, like, Oh, this is sort of random. I've never spoken about this before. I have a really developed sense of smell. And um, wow, almost, really? Yeah, I, you, know, almost, you know, I do. I do too. Do and yeah. Like, I, yeah, I almost thought about going into that. But, you know, obviously, I'm, we're physicians now. But, <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? but I think that's part of why I'm like really into food, because my olfactory senses are like through the exactly. roof. Like my yep. sisters when I was growing up used to, this is, I never shared this either, but they used to call me dog because like yes, my exactly. smell was like so, so keen. So sorry yeah. to interrupt you. No, not at all. In fact, it's really fun to meet people who get it. Like my husband is always like, you have a special gift with smell. And so, 
and that you know it's good and bad but like for example smell is such a big part of taste and people don't really realize that right so i would go out to fancy restaurants i grew up in the you know east coast there's plenty of great places to eat and my family loves to eat and i would be able to recreate something from having eaten it without a recipe and you know this always was wow. really like how do you do that i'm like well i don't i have memory of smell so like i can go into my head and i can remember what nutmeg smells like what cumin smells like what basil smells like this is so random that's very <laughs> no that's really cool that's how cooking became so prominent because when you have a really developed sense and this is an ayurvedic teaching interestingly making some connections how even as we're talking so there's you know we look at in ayurveda we look at the five senses as being medicine of sorts it's called tan mantra chikitsa and the sense of smell actually impacted me so when something didn't smell good i would feel bad physically like mm -hmm. i would say oh mm -hmm. oh i don't feel good and then i would notice it even more when i would eat it and so I think there was this sort of early radar system that food had lots of different principles. It had lots of different ways it would, I would interact with it and it would interact with me. And that was just a really sort of light bulb moment for me. And then I realized, wow, chefs work really hard too. That's going to be a really tough job. <laughs> you know, oh yeah. The dog eat dog world. There's not right. a lot of top chefs who are women. Right. You know, there were a lot of, you know, and certainly it's true in medicine to some degree, although less and less so. But I think that that was the early introduction was just this sense of ease and relaxation when I knew mm. that something was vital, full of energy and serving my body. And, and that became sort of a lens, if you will, that I could gauge things like, oh, that's not smelling good, that's not feeling good. And in time I realized like, oh, well, that which I'm experiencing intuitively is aligning with that which I'm learning academically. Now that would mm. seem to be kind of common sense, but unfortunately I feel like a lot of our sensory input around food is disordered, meaning what we right. crave, what we think is tastes good, what's familiar, isn't always what's most healthy for our body. Right. And I think a lot of things have factored into that. Marketing. Mm -hmm. I always say, you know, here I go, Big Mac, filet of fish, quarter pounder French, French fries, fries. icy cooks, steak, <laughs> Sundays, and apple pie. Like, I'm not saying whose jingle that is, <laughs> but you know, you know. <laughs> you know. Oh, I do know. Right. And so <laughs> that's in there you know and i've done right. a lot of meditation I, I that's a part of my life that 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 conditioning that early childhood conditioning about food and fun and and feeling free and happy if i eat this food is deep in my psyche right and you know i think we actually have to work pretty hard and become quite aware that that listening mechanism of oh how do i feel when i ate this do i feel heavy heavy lethargic How's my mood? How did I sleep? How is my digestive function? And I, when I work with patients in the past, I would always say, just start with, start there, start paying attention. I could give you a handout. Mm. I could give you so much this or that, but the best thing you could do is just start paying attention. That's wow. That's really awesome, actually, because yeah. pe people don't even think about that stuff. They just go about their lives. You know, they're so drawn to the smell of things and kind of like this. Uh, like you were saying, marketing plays a big role in it. And they don't think about the aftermath, no, right? They just they so don't. focused on like the satisfaction of eating that food. Yeah, and they're so, kind of now. 
Right. Yeah. So pointing that out, that's, I mean, that's powerful stuff. So let me ask you too. So on the, the aspect of nutrition, plant foods. So, you know, what do you eat now? Are you, do you consider yourself plant-based? Like what? I do consider myself yeah. plant-based. Okay. Although I do like to give sort of full disclosure because in sure. Ayurvedic teaching, there is use of dairy in a medicinal okay. way. So there are ghee-based ghee, which is clarified butter, where you right. move the solids, has um, botanicals that are blended with it. And those are actually widely utilized. So I would always say I'm kind of like a geegan, you know, <laughs> like I, I do still have a little ghee and I don't mean to offend all the plant-based folks. It is a saturated fat. So sure. I don't say I'm fully plant-based because I, I do like to be fully, really authentic. Like I could say to you, oh yeah, I'm fully plant-based, but sure. to fully be integrated in my life, there is a deep body of knowledge in Ayurveda that utilizes dairy, honey, and, and ghee. And, and I, I do really think we have to look very closely at factory farming and what's happening in the production. So it's not an everyday thing. It's more of a monthly, weekly thing, if anything. But sure. outside of that, my diet is composed primarily of fresh fruits and vegetables, grains, and legumes. And um, that's how I always tell people, you know, I'm I'm going to be 65 next year. And so, you know, it's working Will out. You? <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I was like, oh my gosh, you yeah. look amazing. No, no, but I am exactly going to be 50. <laughs> yeah, no, but I will be 50. And, you know, people always ask me like, you look so young and your skin right. is glowing. And I always say it's, it's the choices that I make a little bit every day. And so, mm. You know, we have all these genes inside of us. Remember the big genome product, you know, that, oh, once we sequence the genome, we'll, we'll know everything. And, you know, they sequenced it and they were like, oh, rut row, we actually have to look at how genes turn on and off. And so I think one of the most fascinating things to me that we're looking at in science right now is how nutrition and how stress and sleep and movement ask our genes to turn on and off and turn on and off in ways that promote our health or don't promote our health. And in some ways, the genes actually have these sort of black or white algorithms like, hmm. oh, I'm going to go this inflammation route or this cancer route or this aging route, or I'm going to go this preservation of health and vitality route. And how those genes turn on and off is the science of epigenetics. And so for people interested in, you know, the science, what's the science in all this? You know, there's a lot of beautiful writings and you know we'll we'll see in science sometimes we'll see a study that says this is one i love you know people that ate six servings of vegetables per day versus one serving of vegetable per day had an all cause decrease in death by 40% you know it's like oh wow how do, but actually how does that happen and it's through this these subtle effects of the density of the nutrients that are in the plants and the legumes and the grains, magnesium, thiamine, and you know, there's over 25,000 phytonutrients. We really know nothing about how they impact our body, but we do know things like turmeric, like who hasn't had a turmeric uh, latte these days or golden milk as they call it. And right. so, you know, this curcumin, which is the active constituent in turmeric, benefits the body in so many different cellular pathways through how it turns genes on and off. So it's a bit of a long-winded answer, but I think, <laughs> you know, I think it's really fascinating how when you really start looking at first how you feel, 
then thinking about, well, how do I feel 40 days from now from this decision I've made? Because that's how long some of this cellular machinery needs to sort of reset itself. So I always ask people to give it the old college try, you know, when (laughs) you first get started, like, you know, do more than the polite bite of the bitter greens, you know, there's something in there for you. Right, right. So yeah, you know, people that are interested in this. So for example, I just finished a talk on immunity and strengthening, optimizing your immune system during this time of COVID for Mm -hmm. uh, this company. And some of the questions that were asked were definitely more basic questions in terms of what is a vegan diet? How is that different from a whole food plant-based diet? So can we talk a little bit about that? Oh, yeah. And I'd love to hear your point of view too. But, um, you know, from my point of view, it's very interesting. So a vegan diet, I would say, initially stemmed from a spiritual political decision. So vegans Mm. were people who wanted to eliminate animal cruelty. And they Mm -hmm. had the point of view of something called ahimsa, which means nonviolence. And the idea was that they would shift how they eat to support all beings. Okay, and that's a little esoteric, but that's really the foundation of the initial vegan movement. So these folks would not eat anything that harmed another animal, including bees. So Mm. a vegan diet would not include honey, no dairy, and of course, no animal product of any kind. And often vegans would translate that much deeper into their lifestyle. So glue is made from horses and you know, I mean, it's so many layers where your shoes come from, how how your car is, the leather in your car. Like a vegan has a very philosophic mindset. The downside to that, you know, I think that's a very noble way to live, is that unfortunately, sometimes the vegan diet doesn't have a focus on health promoting food. It's about a meat substitute. Right. So you miss your chicken, so you have chalk in, you know, like you you have hot dogs instead of hot dogs. You know, it's like all this sort of imitation um, to what you used to eat. And again, I sort of have a little toss up philosophically in myself because I actually do see the value in not harming other, you know, beings. And of course, that's my personal philosophy, but vegans definitely have that as part of their psyche, their MO, their, their way they're thinking. And so some vegans actually are all that, you know, and a can of worms is like to say, they are doing all of that and they look at the very most health benefiting focused foods. And those people are really pretty amazing. And there's some well-known ones that kind of are speakers. And I would say that in his own way, Neil Bernard really exemplifies that. He doesn't Mm -hmm. speak as much on the more spiritual, emotional principles of veganism, but you can feel underneath that. It is part of his framework. But then there's this whole food plant-based kind of camp, if you will. Mm -hmm. And these are folks that may not be thinking as much about these philosophic tenets of the harm that's coming to animals, though it still may be in their mind. It may still be something they're thinking about, but they're looking at pillars of health using plants. And so they are looking at how to design a diet that's optimal vitality. And vegans aren't always thinking about that. And I know firsthand because I was on a vegan diet database because unfortunately, this is very interesting, um, the American Dietetic Association only in 2009 advocated for a you know, vegan or vegetarian diet. Prior to that, the prevailing wisdom was, oh, you won't be healthy. 
And so a lot of people who want to eat this way go to their doctor and the doctor actually says to them, you're not going to be able to be healthy if you eat that way. You won't get enough protein. You'll be, right. you'll be getting all the micronutrients you need. And it's kind of devastating because we actually know that's not true. And it's just misinformation. And of right. course, there's a lot of debate between meat eaters and carnivores and paleo and probably beyond the scope of what is really valid to discuss. And I actually find those discussions sort of meaningless because at some base level, food is religion for people and they rarely right. change their mind. They right, right. Listen to the thoughts and ideas and suppositions of the other. So I don't right. engage in that online. I usually basically tell people, you know, listen to your body listen for vitality. And if you've cut out a lot of the standard American diet of sugar sweetened beverages and drinking your calories and being sedentary, you're actually going a really long way. You're going a long way to moving yourself towards health and getting stuck on a label isn't important to me as, as important as maybe for others it is. But for me, I'm usually like, let's just get momentum forward and see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good point to bring out because there's so much you know, information out there and different schools of thought on what the, you know, quote unquote, best diet is. Exactly. And so part of it is they try to appeal to the senses and, and fear and play on those. And I think, you know, focusing back on what's going to make you the most vital, like, you know, what's going to bring the most wholeness, the most enjoyment in your life and you know, whatever that might mean for you. But, you know, th there is a lot of data to support whole food, plant-based nutrition as nothing but beneficial. I mean, the diet, you know, year after year for treating and reversing heart disease is the Ornish diet, right? right? And that's the principles of whole food plant-based. So, and you touched on this briefly, but I want to talk about it a little bit more. The misconceptions of eating this way, eating a, you know, a whole food plant-based nutrition or even a vegan diet. Right. What are those misunderstandings, in, you know, in your mind and, um, well, I think that, you know, and I always joke about this, you know, every time I log into Google, or, I mean, onto my Yahoo homepage, there's a little ad, and I don't know why that, you know, these ads are so funny how they target people. They're very scientific, how they do all the ad algorithm. But every time I log in, there's this thing that says, lectins and plants are going to end your life. You know, it's like, I'm not going to name any further than that. And I'm usually like, are you serious? Like, cause for two years you've been advertising this to me and this is really not money well spent because I fully do not believe. But what it demonstrates for us is that of a concerted conversation that's coming from a marketing point of view actually begins to seep into our psyche. So legumes, mm. which are hands down, if you look at the data from Dan Buettner and his work, who wrote the book, The Blue Zones, by yeah, the way, the if you haven't read, yeah, if you haven't, well, cause a lot of people there have, don't even know who that is, but yeah. he wrote this amazing book like that. It was like in the mid late nineties, right? Mm -hmm. um, so a while ago, but focused on pockets of the world where centenarians, people who lived over the age of a hundred were in a you know, high density population in specific parts of the, the world. And there were four, I believe, and then one of them is here in the United States, specifically in California, which is yeah. not that far from where I live. And so what they did was they looked at all the common uh, lifestyle choices that these populations made. And they came up with a list of, I think, nine yeah. uh, ways of living. So if you haven't read that book, 
I strongly encourage you to pick it up. It's, and you know, one of the things is nutrition and it's, it's a mostly whole food plant-based nutrition, yeah. but you know, depending on the culture you're talking about, they did incorporate meats, you know, but very infrequently, you know, right. it was it's only on like special, exactly yeah. ta- for taste there were like special yeah. occasions. So anyways, sorry to... Oh, no, yeah. So Dan Butner's work is a great resource. I know we were maybe going to touch on that, but the Blue Zones website, books, podcast, all of that is a really wonderful place to look. And he really does focus on plant-based and really Mm -hmm. meat is a condiment. And I think if you had him in front of you, he'd say, I really just basically advocate for a plant-based diet for the majority of people because access to healthy meat is pretty limited. And that's, you know, I think his point of view around factory farming and how meat's being produced. But, you know, this is definitely something that I think is really important to think about. Like you might have a bodybuilder come in to see you in your practice and they want to eat plant-based and every other person has said to them, well, you won't get enough protein. Well, it's just wrong. And then there's this misnomer of, well, you won't get all the right proteins. And we know that by eating a balanced diet with grains, legumes, meats, I'm sorry, uh, fruits and vegetables, that the right amount of amino acids that you need to be vital and healthy. And you can hop on social media and find these amazing bodybuilders and people that are working out maximum athletic performance who are are plant-based or vegan. And- You know, they are demonstrating how they're eating, what they're eating, and, you know, they eat a lot. And that's another thing people sometimes think, oh, I'm going to gain weight, I'm eating more. You know, all of that fiber can affect the microbiome, and that microbiome actually helps regulate metabolism. So it's so nuanced, all the benefits that come when we really start eating. But to just circle back, you know, this whole lectin and phytate thing, it's really interesting because this huge marketing campaign came out. And then if you look at the longevity diets on the planet, they all include legumes, every single one of them. Hmm. And, you know, the, the people that live the longest on the planet routinely consume legumes. Yet people would routinely come in to see me in the office and say, am I harming myself? And, <laughs> you know, more than three years ago, no one would have said that. Right. No one would have thought that. Right. So it's, you know, this philosophy that started permeating with this massive marketing campaign, which I have no idea what the spiritual ramifications of doing something like that to the <laughs> planet are. That's a small aside. Like, I would never want to be that person because right. that's, a lot of, that's a lot of misinformation. And there's right. a lot of data. Now, we do need to boil and cook our legumes wisely. We don't eat mm-hmm. them raw. Mm-hmm. And destroy these things do exist in the plants, and they need to be cooked, and then they're gone. And just to clarify, because some people not might not even know what legumes mean. What do you, what are you oh, referring sorry, to beans, specifically? Yeah. Beans, yeah, beans, right? Beans, yeah, yeah. Beans, black beans, pinto beans, right. um, lentils, mung beans, soy, oh, the whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. So yeah, the legumes, those beans are high sources of protein. So I feel like a big misconception in you know, the general public is that you can't get enough protein eating a whole food plant-based diet. But, you know, you brought up a good point. And there is a movie that came out last year called The Game Changers. I'm not sure if you watched it. I did, yeah. You did. Yeah, yeah. so I, I feel like they did a really good job of capturing the the essence of this, this misconception in that, you know, yeah. all these different athletes in many different fields, whether it's basketball or running, what have you, even bodybuilding, right? Yeah. 
They, it is fascinating they, that yeah, you know, it's, it's so fascinating. And it really, you know, the thing about it is, is where it's sort of to me, it's like where your intention is is where your attention goes. And so, if your intention is to be vital and strong and contributing to society in positive ways, you begin to put your attention on the things that are going to give that to you. So, making the transition to this, it's not an overnight process. But I've, I've seen miracles. I mean, I had a patient come in without giving too much information, was in a wheelchair, elderly, 16 different disease processes happening, sat in the wheelchair in front of me and said, I don't know anything about this. I saw this movie, one of the wonderful movies that are out about how eating plant-based can maybe forks over knives or one of them and said, I want to try this. What do I do? And I said, well, here's some books and you know, maybe you work with a nutritionist. And she says, no, I'm fully motivated. And she started reading the books, you know, Dr. Uh, Michael Greger's books, oh. How Not to Die. You know, these are like, these should be the te foundational textbooks, you know, for anyone who's interested. He's very thorough. He gives a lot of basics information. She started making changes right away, came in six weeks later, walking, walking. Get out of here. Paralyzed. Wow. But she was in the wheelchair because of her severe neuropathy. And she came in six weeks later saying, I cannot believe she, she's in her mid seventies. So that's the other misnomers. People think, oh, it's too late. I, it, you know, this, this ship has sailed. I've already had my heart attack or my stroke, or I already had my severe disease process. And, you know, no way is never too late. And even Ornish's uh, research shows that to us as well. Right, right. So, you know, I think for people that are listening, they've been eating meat for a while, for example, and, you know, because of the coronavirus epidemic, they're worried yeah. about, you know, there's been studies on, you know, how coronavirus even came about eating meat, exactly. you know, this stem yeah. from either, you know, bats or Malay pangolins in, you know, the wet market in Wuhan, China, and yeah. how these chronic diseases we have in our society put us at high risk for severe coronavirus infection. So, mm -hmm. For those interested out there wanting to make the jump, what would you say to them? Well, I would say, congratulations, it's amazing. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. Life's gonna be amazing from here on out. You know, it's not that like black or white, but I really do like to celebrate when that happens because to me, it's an awakening of sorts. And okay. again, without giving it a lens of this is the best diet, because sure. I do think there are different ways people kind of pull themselves through all these different principles we've sort of alluded to, movement, stress management, social connection, better quality sleep. But when it comes to the food piece, I really think that it's important to recognize that food is something we do every day, multiple times a day. And so just begin by noticing, just begin by noticing how you feel after you eat and noticing where your cravings are, when you're having cravings and notice your energy level and your digestion. Start with that, and then you can start picking up these wonderful books that give you the science and the intellectual information. So I always like to marry experience with information because mm -hmm. all information sometimes is a crash and burn, meaning you've ingested it and it's, you know, oh, you've got your meal planning app and you, you went to the farmer's market for the first time and you're like, wow, that took a hundred hours. Like, I don't right. have that much time to do all this. And so it's really about marrying experience and ambition within it and knowledge. 
And so, you know, just taking little little bites, not the whole Big Mac, as I like to say. You right, want to right. put that the achievement of, oh, I've got this all figured out because even I'm still many would consider me an expert. And, and I would say that every day I'm still learning. There's no place where I ever think in a, oh, I've got it all figured out. There's so much we have. It's in its infancy, nutritional science. Right. And so, you know, finding people who seem vital and healthy and asking them what's working for you, because sometimes your peer group can actually be very supportive. And there are issues of poverty and food disparity and access to good, healthy food for African-American populations, for people of color, indigenous people. You know, there's a lot of issues around access to the good food. So cost is another one I think that comes up for people. And I, my main thing I say to this is the most expensive food you have is the food you throw away. So if you can start looking at how much food waste is moving through your kitchen and fine tuning that with some help with an app and meal planning, you may actually be able to afford more than you could in the past. And by meal planning, you cut down some of that time in the kitchen that, you know, get you get home, you're like, I'm hungry, what's that? I don't know what to eat. You know? <laughs> so, um, so those are kind of some basic tips. And I think there's some good resources. PCRM, the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine has a 21 day vegan kickstart program. Dr. Michael Greger has a series of a kickstart as well as books and lots of information. And he has a new cookbook and sort of pathway. There's a wonderful new book out called Fiber Fueled that has a, you know, a great pathway for a food and eating program from a gastroenterologist who's looking at how plant-based food really impacts our digestive health, which can relate to systemic health. Wow, such a th- well thought out answer. <laughs> I've never been asked it before. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I we are out of time, unfortunately. Oh, it's been so quick. <laughs> I know it's been so quick, but I hope we can have you back on the show to talk more about this. I mean, love you're you're such a wealth of knowledge, and just love the energy about you. You know, I think this is something that you've always been meant to do you know, growing up and, you know, it's, it shows now with all the things you're currently doing. So where can people find you online? Oh, well, thanks for asking. I yeah, am, of course. So you can find me drsirichun.com and Luminous Foods on social media. And so I'm on all the, all the channels, as I like to say, and they all have slightly different things and, and that I'm sharing. But, you know, a lot of work that I'm doing right now is educating physicians individually about themselves and their practice. So that's been a really exciting new development for me that I had I realized that it was a real passion of mine and I developed a certain core area of knowledge around this. So that's a really exciting new thing I'm doing as well. Very exciting. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. We hope to have you back soon and we'll we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you for your time. Yes, great to be here and so excited for this podcast and the work you're doing and looking forward to you know sharing this with my friends and family. So everyone, please share this because this information and what's being presented in this podcast is so valuable. So yes, pass oh, it. Oh, I thank you so much for that. Okay, thank okay. you. We'll, we'll see you soon. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, how was that? How amazing is Dr. Siri Chan Khalsa? I hope you are inspired by this talk to learn more about how plant foods can provide a boundless source of vitality in your own life. But don't take my word or Dr. Siri Chan's word on it. 
go out and experience it for yourself. Then pay close attention to how the food makes you feel. And if you do feel a positive change, I'd love to hear it. So hit me up on my email, drjoner at gmail.com or on social media. Also, please let Dr. Siri Chan know on her socials what you think about this talk. You can find all these links in our show notes. Also, FYI, a few corrections to our talk about the Blue Zones book. It was actually published in 2008, not in the 1990s, and there are actually five Blue Zones, not just four zones. Well, I am so grateful to have had Dr. Siri Chan on the show, and as always, so grateful to you for tuning in to hear her. So if you like what you heard, please download, subscribe, listen, rate, and review my podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with your family, friends, and online. Thanks again to the wonderful and smart Amelia Liu, my intern, to Jacob Ferrer for production help, and to Stock Sounds for the music. And lastly, to you, thank you again for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode with Dr. Jesse Mahoney, a pediatrician, certified life coach, yoga, and mindfulness instructor whose current work centers around mindfulness. Remember, your state of health starts with your state of mind. So till next time, enjoy the process, my friends. This podcast is intended for educational purposes only and is not medical advice, so please talk to your primary physician for that. In addition, the views and opinions expressed by me are my own and not that of my former, current, or future employer. This also applies to my guests. Finally, we do our best to make every effort to relay correct information. We do not guarantee its accuracy. Thank you for listening.